Yes, hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, our little book club. Book club? Book. Book. All right, sorry. Hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, episode 36. In this episode, we are talking about Lisa Halliday's asymmetry. I am Ryan, and with me is my good buddy and fellow host, Jacob. Yes, hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, our little book club, book cult, book something or other, episode 36. Uh, I'm glad that we got through that intro. For the first time, it was yeah. uh, it was me kind of stumbling a little bit instead of you, which was which is more painful, I think, because you have to speak first, so you have to do your whole little shtick first, yeah. only for me to flub it up there at the end every single time. So It's all right. It's all right. We cut it out. Absolutely. Or, or it, it might make its way into the intro. But yes, hello, welcome to episode 36. Uh, today's going to be kind of exciting. Exciting? Exciting. All right. I, well, I, mean, I, I, I was thinking like, you know, deep, thoughtful, intelligent. Exciting wasn't on my list of you adjectives don't, for this you, episode. You clearly don't know me very well. Okay, because, all right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I this is going to be, I'm just going to put this out there. I, I think we discussed this a little bit in the pre-show. This is probably going to be the most literary book that we've read, short of maybe Savage Detectives, but that yeah. in a completely different vein. That more like stylistic. Yeah. This more with uh, with just sort of ideas. But this this is gonna, this is kind of a departure. I mean, especially following uh, uh, Hitchhikers. Yes. Um, but it, it was exciting. I I think we're gonna have some uh, we're gonna have some interesting things to talk about in uh, in today's episode, which of course is gonna be a pretty standard episode. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna tell you a little bit about the uh, author Lisa Halliday. I may give you a brief summary of the book. We'll we'll see between now and then if I can if I can figure <laughs> that out. Spoilers. Uh, my preparation for this episode went elsewhere. Uh, and then of course we're just gonna get into the book. Uh, we're gonna have a lot to talk about today, I believe. More so on the kind of background for for how we're feeling about everything with this yeah. book, and, and less about maybe the the narrative itself. But still, oh, I have plenty to talk about the narrative. Okay, well, that's fine too. And then, of course, we're going to get to our patented three tiers: four if we're locking it in a customs detention, five if we're breaking up with it because it's fifty years younger than us, uh, and uh, yeah, then we'll tell you what we've got coming up on our next episode, which is going to be awesome. So, spoiler alert. Yes. We're doing something for our next episode. Never done it before. We're kind of, I wouldn't say we're partnering with anyone, but I'll just explain it at the end of the show. It's, the, it's an, the episode's it, dedicated to a group of people. Yes, the episode is going to be, it, it's the first time we will be taking a recommendation on a book choice yes. from someone else, and there's a reason behind that, but we'll get that at the end of the episode. Yes. So if that's all you care about, just jump to the end of the episode now, and then we, we'll talk about it there. But otherwise, obviously, listen listen to this episode. Yes. Uh, so let's let's talk about Lisa Halliday real quick. Um, this is her debut novel, um, which surprised the hell out of me. Yeah, I want to start with that first. Like, this is a pretty impressive, like, just starting point. Yes. We've read a lot of authors that, you know, have quite a collection yeah, in you know the in the teens and the twenties, a book's written, and this I think in a lot of ways rivals just from a just from like a stylistic standpoint of writing some of those that are 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 quite a bit more seasoned. So good for yes. you, yes. good for you. This was this was this was interesting it, indeed. Uh, so Lisa Halliday uh, is from uh, Massachusetts. Uh, she lives in Milan, Italy. Um, and she's doing apparently like translation and ed editorial work there. I guess her husband, uh, works there for whatever his job is, whomever he may be. Uh, and, uh, her work has appeared in the Paris Review, which is mentioned in here, I believe. Mm -hmm. Uh, also very prestigious. Uh, and, uh, she won the 2017 Whiting Award for Fiction. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's, she's kind of new, so there's not a lot of like juicy details about her life, save one. She dated one our Philip boy. Roth. Our boy, yeah. Which I didn't find out till I was done with this book, and it like blew my mind wide open. Yeah, it made you rethink the whole first section, huh? Or at uh, least the... Yeah, like everything. Yeah, uh, right. yeah the, the whole thing made me feel things about Philip Roth if, you know, she was kind of dredging up things from that relationship, uh, which from what I could tell after after reading it and reading some of the interviews and commentary about it, it seems like she was. 
uh, I, don't, I wouldn't say she like ruined Philip Roth for me, but I mean, based on based on what we've gotten through, we've read two Roth books now, right? Yeah, we read Plot yeah. Against and, and Everyman. Every based on based on his work and kind of what we've read about him, nothing really surprised. Me. No, no, not necessarily. But you <laughs> know, when, really you get, when you get somebody else's perspective, and that's uh, sure. Yeah, we'll we'll get into the relationship thing between Alice and Ezra. Yeah. Waiting for Philip Roth's uh, response to this. Yeah, uh, it's he's not, dead. It's not coming. Yeah, yeah, dead, he, he can't. Uh, may he rest in peace. Yeah. All right, you've had plenty of time uh, to come up with uh, where you want to go. So, okay, we're gonna go with this. Asymmetry okay. is a seedy romance novel about a young uh, publisher assistant in New York City when she meets a man 50 years her senior and they fall into this escapades of romance and medical bills and baseball. And then we get a completely different uh, section uh, about a uh, Muslim American man being detained at Heathrow Airport. Yep. Yep. That's the book. And then an interview. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. That's my totally surface level uh, summary. I would have just said this is a a book about asymmetry. And then just left Shit, it there. that's really good. That's really good. <laughs> well, crop out every, cut out everything before okay, that. Okay, done, that. done. I'm, I'm just going to start doing the, uh, this is a book about asymmetry. See, there it was in my voice now. You can yeah. just cut out the rest. Perfect. Easy. Done. Perfect. All right, so let's, let's get into it. Uh, do you want to start with like the, I don't, I, I mean, I want to get into the relationship stuff. Um, yeah, where do we even deep. begin? All right, I will, and you can, you can we'll, we'll jump off for this because I okay. feel like this is the easiest and a really easy way to tie in. So obviously the the name of the book is Asymmetry. Yes, and we get that feeling throughout through various examples. But I think the more potent one, um, at least initially, is is kind of the relationship we have between uh, Alice and Ezra, right? That's sort of like asymmetry. Yeah. What and and by that I mean just obviously like the the life experiences, the differences in age, just kind of like the the. The asymmetrical elements without like throughout their relationship. At least that's the first thing that jumped out to me when I was reading the book. Yep. Yep. What was your I guess that that was what jumped out to me at first. Having read the book in its entirety, where do you kind of stand on like what does what do you think is the most sort of impactful meaning for for the for the title of the book, I guess? Asymmetry. Yeah, I think that uh well, I think it's a lot of things, right? I think there's the relationship aspect um, between Ezra and Alice. I think that there is the um, sort of societal, social aspect between uh, uh, Amar's situation, um, his life, you know, in the U.S. and uh, in Iraq. His obviously him and his brother's relationship. Uh, there is you know, un- definitely an undercurrent of like privilege, um, you know, throughout this, this whole thing. Um, I think that there's gender, uh, I mean, there's there, you could go down any one of these like sure. rabbit holes. Um, but I, I think that it's, it's sort of all of those things coming together in a way that like, uh, that has like a narrative symmetry, like the, you know, they, they sort of, play off of each other. You know, there are things that come up in Amar's section, uh, Madness, that, you know, go back and highlight something about folly that, you know, I, th- I think is like a, a central point. And we can dive into some of that. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I think that it's, it's sort of a tongue in cheek uh, way of saying like, you know, there are these disparate ideas throughout the book, but I'm going to weave them together in a clever way that gives them meaning throughout, even though they're juxtaposed. Yeah. I mean, yeah. In the, in the same way, I remember when I was going back, I, I kind of, as I started reading the first section and I knew based on your, your preview that you gave of this book, that we kind of had this, the idea of asymmetry to begin with, where we had these kind of like two seemingly opposite stories that somehow are interconnected and we find that out through reading the second section and kind of like picking up on the clues. And then obviously it's kind of confirmed in the end that, that the, that Amar's story is, 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 is Alice. Yeah. Uh, that we get, we get kind of that nugget that's left earlier where she's thinking, you know, kind of, of how to get outside of her own, her own like experience or authority on things and put herself in sort of the consciousness of a, of a Muslim man. And, and we get all of those little, um, that kind of like banter back and forth between her and Ezra on, yep sort of the role of the of the author in 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 kind of like their their responsibility to whatever it is that they're 
their their subject is, whether it should be something personal or impersonal or something right, completely right. like imagined or things like that. So yeah, I mean it 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 does all kind of fit. I, I, I do love myself a good book that has, you know, a title that works uh that works in a multitude of ways throughout so that I can always just stop after like a chapter, a little section and go asymmetry. Yeah. And then pick up the next <laughs> section. It feels like almost like a sitcom, like where or like yeah, the office, yeah. whenever they would look at the camera and they'd be like, it's the title asymmetry. Yeah. I would get that sometimes throughout reading this book. And, and as, as strange as that is, I do enjoy, I do enjoy those little like bits of like, uh, clever title. I love it. Yeah. I, I, it's been a while since we've had a title that was clever. Uh, sure. I think, and this one definitely, definitely was. That was that was. I mean, we've had like standard titles, but this one it was. It's it's on the nose in a sense. It's like pff, you're getting asymmetrical stories, but it's also like eh, there's also kind of this all of these dynamics at play from the the characters' relationships in the stories to the two stories themselves. Yeah. To the ideas of of kind of uh, the novel within the novel and like the novelist's responsibility to yeah. to how they view their subject and I, I dig it. It was that alone was was kind of an interesting little thing because it made me when you pick up on that at least that's when you start kind of more actively engaged reading. Like this was a book that I definitely started for probably the first uh like fifteen percent of it, just kind of like going through and then I then I kind of started like honing in and, and yeah, it was definitely one. I mean, especially after, uh, after our last one, it was definitely one that I felt I needed to be a much more active reader yeah, and take things in, especially, you know, with all the, the sort of references in the first section as well from kind of that literary standpoint. Yeah. Like all the excerpts and sure. even the music and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, uh, I went and listened to a few of the, a few of the songs that I'd, I'd never heard before. I don't, Frankly, you know, I love classical music, but uh, I didn't like—I don't—I didn't like his taste in music necessarily. It just wasn't my thing. And then, you know, I, I think that uh, I think some of the sometimes, like when you throw in references, um, it can be a bit uh, pretentious, right? Yeah. And like you get the mix of sort of all these like these references to other other works and other artists and then you know music and it comes together obviously you know it forms this world for that Alice and Ezra live in yeah. this literary world but also you know kind of builds the pretentiousness of of Ezra and his his lifestyle and his mentality uh which i think is is interesting but yeah, I, I went through and listened to most of his selections on his playlist that in that third section, and yeah, didn't love it. Yeah, didn't love it. Fair enough. Uh, all right, so let's maybe let's break this down. At least start by trying to break it down by by section, by section, and and kind of just like maybe talk folly first. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things you know that that struck me in that section was the obviously the relationship between. Ezra and uh, and Alice and how she is just sort of at his beck and call um, and for the most part only when you know when he wants um, with a few exceptions what did what did you think like how did you feel about that relationship as it was developing throughout the the first section yeah I mean it's a weird dynamic but apparently it's a it's a common enough one from uh, from experience when you have sort of those tinges of her own real life experience kind of with Roth, I guess, injected in here. But yeah, it was, it was interesting. It did get me thinking a little bit, just the idea of, you know, having a, having a relationship with someone that where you kind of are like, so, so different in terms of your roles within that relationship. Right. I, I feel like the relationships that I've been, have been in have been with people where we kind of relatively occupy the same space right right like no one is sort of the overly aggressive overly dominant like oh i do this and you kind of like follow along right and, and right you like that you like kind of like being along and being shown the way to do all this and it it does seem a little bit kind of not entirely like daddy issuey way but it yeah. does seem like in a lot of ways it's kind of like he filled that void of like educator or nurturer, but, but even still like his personality wasn't really like that. It was kind right. of, it was a very distorted version of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I don't know the relationship. It, 
it didn't necessarily make me uncomfortable in a sense that he was, you know, 70 yeah. and she was 25, but yeah, I don't know. It was it was it was just strange because I've never personally nor can I ever really like imagine myself in that type of like power dynamic with someone with within yeah. a relationship on either side, honestly, on either side. So, well, let me tell you, I had <laughs> I had sort of a, a oh, here personal I had a personal connection to that cuz I had a relationship like that. Uh, How big of an age difference? Uh, it was like three or four years. It oh, wasn't, okay. It wasn't, it wasn't massive. It wasn't, it wasn't an age-induced in, Um No, but she definitely had the mentality that she was my superior. Okay. And that, like, she, uh, she could teach me things about, you know, whether it was, like, food or wine or just, like, life experiences. She had this, this idea that she was my superior in certain like realms and it was it was kind of weird because um the other the other part of that whole thing was that she and her husband were like separated they weren't divorced but like they were they were separated so she was yeah. married and so i also had that aspect of like being on call for her and never the other way around so you know so it's it wasn't juicy well i mean it's been long enough that you know sure. i can talk about that and frankly it doesn't I mean, I don't give a shit if, yeah. if anybody knows about it. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it was, I saw a lot of, like, my relationship um, in that, you know, dynamic uh, throughout the story. And it, it really was, it was interesting. Obviously, it's it's something that happens, you know, to, to different people in different ways. Um, but uh, I I felt when I was going through that and then, and after when I sort of took a step back and thought about things that it was, it was very like unhealthy. Um, oh, absolutely. And like, you know, it, it drove me nuts at the time, which didn't, didn't seem to happen to Alice really. Yeah. She seemed like she was pretty comfortable with the, the arrangement. Um, and until she started kind of having doubts. Yeah. And, and, and that was that was that, that's kind of a, a weird situation to be in, right? Because you you get this uh, you get this juxtaposition of you know Ezra is established in his life, he has his career, he has you know his uh, established you know sort of social uh, structure in which you know he has these relationships sort of in secret, right? That's we're led to believe Alice is not the first nor the last in which he's, you know, conducted this kind of relationship with. And then you have Alice who is young, starting in her career, seems to be, you know, a, a promising uh, person in her field. Um, and, uh, you know, you got, you get this like kind of back and forth um, kind of give and take between the two characters. And it is sort of like almost a paternal like thing and it, it it's weird and, and creepy and unsettling I think in, in a lot of ways yeah and I mean I guess it's it's not just the well I mean I guess it is the age thing but you do see I, I think the the big underlying thing outside of just his his sort of like worldliness or his sort of like domination of that the ideas kind of within their their relationship is just how the the asymmetry <laughs> we got to put that up uh of sort of their their positioning in time or their like views on time it's like yeah. everything with Ezra is kind of like all this sort of accomplishments and all of these these events and it's kind of more reflective in his life where you have Alice this whole thing is like it's a blank canvas and, right, and she's right. constantly like back and forth on like well you know would you would you choose to stay with him if you knew he'd be healthy and, you know, live with him forever? Or would you, you know, take the, be a writer in Europe with kind of this sort of un, you know, unproven future, but unclaimed sort of, right. you know, destiny. And it, you know, it, it is understandable that someone, at least in her position and, you know, being that young and, and at that stage of life that you would grasp towards the, the 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 open ended the the future one rather right, than sort right. of living as a living as a footnote or an end note to someone else's experience because it just I feel like those those type of situations naturally will always lead to a to a, a divorce or a separation or breaking up or God forbid you know yeah. a, a widow or widower because you have such a you have such a 
I don't know. You have such a fracture in in where people are in in their life in time, and I think the right. most important thing to like having a a functioning and sustainable relationship is finding somebody that is in their life in that moment or in you know they're they're along the ride that they're at least kind of at that spot as yeah. you because what good is being with someone if you don't experience you know the things that you want to experience together if someone's already sure. kind of lived their life and you're just there to you know soothe them as their health declines and you know get the little tidbits of adult fatherhood yeah, you know yeah role model but also you're dating them yeah it's weird but uh, I mean, you you could make the argument, uh, and this is where you know I think that one of the things that jumped out at me from the second section that sort of started to play on the first was when uh, Amar's mom had said something about uh, uh, he needs to live his life like his brother does, uh, who you know lives like a dog, like in the moment. Sure. Uh, and you know if if you think about uh, Ezra and and Alice. Um, they are living in the moment, right? Like there are no future plans, especially sure. given, you know, Ezra's health and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, so it really is kind of moment to moment. And, you know, is Amar's mom's advice really sound advice? I, I don't know. I think, I don't think entirely to draw it back to, uh, way, 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 way back when. Oh, Faulkner, I like, I like this. Faulkner oh, episode wow. Two. When we were talking about, you know, our three main characters and sort of the importance on having a, a balanced uh, viewpoint and in, in time, whether it's if you're if you're focused too much on the past, it's it's bad. If you're focused too much on just the future, then you kind of neglect everything else. If you're focused too much on the present, then you accomplish nothing. And, right. and that the only way that you can that the only way that you can comfortably exist and I guess as an extension of that, your relationships comfortably exist is if you have that sort of balanced approach and you only get that if you're with somebody else who has that, that same sort of balanced approach. And, you know, we're bordering on relationship advice, uh, yeah. the relationship advice episode from two dudes. That's all right. We, it's I all feel right. like we've, we've done all right in relationships. We're, we're yeah. smart enough guys. Well, yeah, you obviously, I, I've, I finally have gotten there. So. Yeah. Well, teach, teach I'll, their own. I'll pat myself on the back for that. <laughs> so we, we got there, we got there eventually. We yeah. got there in the end. Oh, it takes, it takes a lot of, a, a lot of learning, right? I mean, absolutely. That's, that's just, it's, it's one of those things. And you know, for, for Ezra, like if you look at his character, he was, he was married, what, three times, I think. Yeah. Uh, and then he got into this pattern of, you know, these sort of secretive affairs, if you will. Um, and so he learned that, you know, monogamy and marriage was not the not his thing. Not the oh, thing. God. What was the what's the fake name he gave? It was Bergman. What was her first name? Uh, was it Rachel? It was an S name, I thought. Uh, I don't remember. Damn it. Yeah, I don't either. But yeah, just like the the like pseudonyms. Yeah. Yeah. But. You know, it's 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 funny because he developed in sort of the wrong direction, right? Like all of these things are are failing him, and he doesn't have anybody to really like support him, right? In the long term, the same way that Alice doesn't really have anybody, uh, or doesn't have Ezra for you know the sort of basic tenements of like security and like reliability and uh consistency with with Ezra. Yeah. And uh it's it's funny sometimes how like experiences can can grow you or sort of wound you in yeah. a certain way. And th I I don't know about you, but I looked at Ezra especially after the third part in his BBC interview. Yeah. As rather pathetic um you know as as an individual and you know obviously there there's just the objectification uh, portion of that the clear you know sort of leaning on his uh notoriety as as the attracting factor sure um and you know it's just honestly it's not that fucking impressive like it, it'll t it'll get you in bed with somebody right or it'll get you an affair with somebody uh, maybe from time to time, but not not the right kind of people, right? Not yeah. not, not the uh, it's not, not gonna, the right kind of relationship. Sure, it's not going to open the door to the things that are going to fundamentally kind of alter your 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 life, or at least in a positive, like long lasting way. Yeah, 
because you're just getting you're just getting people that are kind of like fascinated by the curiosity of it or just like interested in it whether it's morbid curiosity like oh it's even if you have this great different in age great difference in age you know i mean alice she works for uh she worked for a, a publishing company, so yeah. clearly she's aware of his notoriety and and how much of that plays into the the idea of of sort of you know well, am I attracted to this person or am I attracted to the idea of like what they have sort of surrounding them or or like the aura or maybe their experience or kind of like in being with them somehow I will kind of like like through osmosis I'll get some <laughs> of that good juice. And uh, it'll help further my own agenda and my own career. I mean, like, that's the kind of people that I think, you know, not to not to say that every single person that start that gets into a that type of dynamic relationship. But I would always be if I was if I was an individual, you know, an older individual and uh, I had this like great degree of of wealth or fame or notoriety. And yeah. I found people 50 years my younger being attracted to me. My first thought would be like, you're just kind of interested in what I have to offer and right, less about right. like me as an individual person. And I, I, that may not be entirely fair, but I'm just saying like, that's, that is the, that is the first idea of the dynamic that comes to mind when you see like, Oh yeah, Hugh Hefner and all of his, yeah. you know, his like girlfriend wives. And it's like, Oh no, they love him for him. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Bullshit. Do they though? Yeah. Like maybe, maybe they do. Maybe one or two of them. Do all three really love him for him? Yeah. Nah, probably not. Yeah. But so one of the interesting things about the about the first section is that you don't really at least I didn't come to understand Alice's motivation for necessarily being in that relationship because yeah. she didn't it didn't seem to be um that she was getting anything professionally out of out sure. of that relationship, right? Like, you know, he wasn't like helping her in in her career uh, in in any way. Um, it seemed, but the 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 thing that was really notable to me is that she was almost like devoid of emotion, like yeah. in in the way that that whole first part was was narrated. I never got a sense for like how she felt about Ezra necessarily um, or kind of what her like inner monologue was. Yeah. And, and I, I wondered, you know, after again, reading about what, what Halliday uh, went through with, with Roth, I wondered, you know, how much of that was um, one sort of keeping that experience for her, for her own, Two, uh, you know, how maybe difficult it is to, for her to kind of peel back the layers of a confusing relationship. You know, yeah. something, everybody's been in a relationship where you step back and you think, well, why the hell did this last that long? You know, why did I stick around? Why did I put up with this? Why did I behave this way? You know, wh whatever it is. Um, so I wonder, you know, kind of how much of it was was her having that difficulty or, you know, some combination of just that, in the moment, it is really hard to dissect your own thoughts and actions as you go through a relationship like that. And maybe it was the most sort of true to life uh, way for her to to depict that experience. But you know, when I went through that, I I was eternally frustrated. Yeah. Um, like I I was I was angrier than I've ever been. I was sometimes happier than I've ever been. I was more anxious than I've ever been. Uh, like I drank a lot to get through like the, the shitty things we cut things off and then came back and like, it was a very, uh, visceral, um, experience and something that I would never want to go through again. And I would advise everybody to, you know, cut bait and run as quickly as possible. But, um, that was kind of odd to me is that it just felt so emotionless. Did, did Alice feel that way to you yeah. as you went through? I mean, it? for our, for our main character really in our, uh, in our first section being that it's kind of, uh, you know, a, a very close third person narrative of, of following her, but it really, we don't, we don't get a lot about her. We, I, I don't, I don't finish that section and go, okay, well, I, I know Alice is a person you, it's yeah. really just, you, you get more of kind of a, a an insight into Ezra because right, he's right. very, he's kind of like laid bare. Like everything is sort of like put out there and you, you get a real feeling for that. So yeah, it was, it was a little bit, confusing and i don't know if um the purpose of that more so was kind of the the bait and switch with 
the second section when we get all of this like really sort of intense thoughts and sort of like little micro philosophies and talking about memory and like all these other things. And then we kind of find out that that's through, you know, Alice's consciousness or Alice's lens that it's, if it wasn't outside of even just a narrative choice, a stylistic choice to add that sort of asymmetry <laughs> when we think about, uh, yeah, that's, is we that two? Counter. Is we that two? Uh, yeah. Boop. Uh, when we get, sort of we go back and we think about kind of like Alice as a character and and that that may be the the evolution thereof of her of her consciousness at least perhaps yeah uh because that's where everything with this the the first section is pretty cut and dry yeah and the second section isolated entirely from the first section pretty right. cut and dry right albeit i think a little bit more interesting um and then you put them together and you look at the 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 little the little notes that kind of connect each two and then obviously right. you get sort of your confirmation in in the third act but and you go okay well this is this is something this this I need to take a step back from and 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 go back and reread I've never found myself in a book that we've read so far going back and not like rereading whole passages but just right. like oh, I remember like something that happened on like this page or whatever that does make sense. Okay, I remember this. Yeah. Um, did you get that at all with this? Sorry to to kind of change subjects a little bit here, but I yeah. mean like just just getting a little bit away from that. I guess yeah, to 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 agree with your point. Yeah, she did kind of feel oddly detached or unemotional, but I like I said I feel like what I felt after the fact after reading the second section was that it that was more of a literary choice than necessarily a narrative choice yeah I, I i agree and to your to your earlier point i think that all of the sort of like interweaving of you know small details and themes and like just situational sure. things um i think that more than any other book that we've read i wanted to reread this again immediately and i Sat down and kind of thought uh, maybe I can I can get through it a second time before before we uh, have to talk about it because not that not that I felt like um, I had missed threads right like I walked away from the book I think with the right impression yeah but it's just like you know you just I wanted another bite at it um, to to really like get a better idea of what what she's trying to do here because surface level first read. Uh, it is very evident how brilliant of a book in its you know structure and, and narrative it really is, and I just feel like on subsequent reads, like it would only sort of blossom that much more. And I really wanted to do that, and unfortunately, I just I didn't get through it all, uh, all the the second time again. But um, yeah, I, this it was it was sort of a conundrum to to sort of like. Uh, almost like a puzzle to to sort out like yeah where where did this reference like I, the dog thing to me just like you know was was something that really jumped out at me and uh, you know then to think about you know just just being you know in a moment versus kind of this this bigger thing yeah um it was it, it was interesting because you know Amal is stuck in or Amal Amar Amar. Uh, is stuck in a. What if moment. it was stuck in a mall? Uh, that would be instead of the airport. A mar and a mall. A mar and a mall. That that'd be that'd be an interesting title for a sequel. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, but let's, so let's get that trademarked real quick before uh, Lisa Halliday hears this. Yeah. So, you know, he's stuck in a moment, right? He's stuck in this holding cell. Uh, sure. You know, with with immigration officials and stuff, and. Yet you get like this this massive expansion of like all these things that you know have been going on in his life, a yeah. lot of emotions, uh, you know, all all of these kind of things that you don't see in the much more sort of sweeping section of of folly, yeah. uh, where you know you're crossing a lot more time and and situations, I guess. And that again may be the asymmetry here that we have. Uh, <laughs> Keep a count. That's well, three. It's three. It's not hard. Uh, <laughs> that in our first section we get more of a. I mean, they're neither are like non-traditional stories, but yeah, in the first section we kind of get more. You know, girl meets boy. We have all this movement. We have all of this like plot taking place, without a whole lot of like character thought right, associated right. with it. We get plot. We get movement. 
We don't get thought. Second section, we have no movement at all. He's right. stuck in a room. He can't right. go anywhere. He answers questions, but he's just left there. And then all we get is just thought. Right. We just get thought of, you know, of past, of family. Um, we get kind of like philosophical musings. We get, you know, sort of musings on on kind of how we hold memories as this sort of like authoritative force, um, which I know we've talked about before. With it's like of one of ending. my favorite subjects. Sense of an ending and just the idea of distortion of memory or how we warp memories over time in order to kind of fit a narrative. And yeah, just that idea of memories being no more reliable than fiction uh, right. at the end of the day because you, you, kind of craft, uh, you kind of craft these experiences around how you feel about them and less about, this is what happened. We went here at 829. You had a red shirt and did this. It's right. more so, you yelled at me and you gave me a weird look. And it's, <laughs> it's like, what are you talking about? You know, that's, that's, kind of, uh, that's kind of the interesting thing for me too. Yeah, we get to this section and it's, as a reader, you're just kind of left with a completely different, like, Okay. All right. Now I need to sort of think a, a little bit more about what's happening right now because we're yeah. not getting movement. We're just getting thought. Um, and also, it did feel like to me too that it was, and I'm sure it was obviously intended, just kind of the way that our our not not the dialogue, but just the way that the the story was written felt so much more like I was clo- I was more closely just like turning pages and, and getting into it yeah. with a Mars section. And and I don't know if that was entirely intended, but given kind of the scope of what the story really means as far as, okay, Alice finally progressing to this point of at least trying on this, this consciousness of something she previously thought, you know, non-congruent or, or impossible or, or at least seemingly difficult that we, we now sort of see this kind of, uh, elevated level of of depth and detail and storytelling that we didn't get from her in the first section well and well so to be clear the the second section was written in first person from a mars point of view so that lends itself to um i think a, a much more obviously close you know sort of um i guess emotional like Choice, right? Yeah, you definitely feel more for Amar, yeah, in the section in the second section than you do for for Alice in the first, and that's not entirely not because, but but certainly being inside our character's head because otherwise it's just Amar's still sitting, he's still being detained. Exactly, that's our story, right? He still hope oh, the 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 officer comes back in to talk to him. Yeah, oh, it's just routine, sir. Um, Amar wonders this or remembers this. Like it wouldn't work. He paces in, it the would, room. It wouldn't work in third person. So Correct. Yet again, you have. Something that is asymmetrical. You, yeah, have, you a have a perspective change. Third, third a person to, to first person. You have asymmetry. We'll count that as five yeah, because I, you said I, one, I said it. I get it, I get it's counted a dual too. Counter. Here. Yeah. Um, so the the titles for the for the section. Um, what it, what did you think about madness and what, what why do you think that was the choice for Amar's section? I think. I mean, I think it's situational. I think it's okay. just. The the first section is folly, and you kind of see sort of the the error in this this whole dynamic and relationship, or at least you you feel at the end of it, you're like, yeah, this was an error on our main character's part. And then we reach the second one, and it's madness, and you have a guy kind of like sitting, not knowing exactly what what he's going to be able to do. He's being held detained, and he's going through his mind and all these thoughts, and you know the the idea of just getting lost in your own thoughts can, can drive you crazy or, or yeah. you know, in, in that element. And that's, that, that was what jumped out to me for the naming sort of protocol for those. Yeah. I had sort of a, a similar thought. Like, obviously I, I think it ties to situation, right? Yeah. Like a Mars situation in the moment, um, is, is obviously just like you described, but then his life in general and the, and the war on terror that's, you know, going on in his home country, yeah. him going back to try to find his brother, uh, you know, him, you know, being in, in, uh, the U S instead of Iraq and his family situation, um, there, I mean, there's just, there's a lot of like tension from, from situations, you know, obviously of vastly varying, uh, degrees. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, folly, I can't, I can't help but wonder like whose folly was it? Was it Ezra's? Was it Alice's? Probably both to Probably some degree, both. right? Yeah. Um, that one's a little bit easier to pin down. And then, I mean, the third, the title of the third section is just kind of a throwaway cause it, 
sets you in where you are for that third section. Right? <laughs> the Desert Island Discs. Right. So, I mean... Collection one. Which is, which is kind of... Did they ever explain why it was Desert Island Discs? I don't know. Well, maybe it was because it was island. It had sand oh, on yeah, it. Oh, yeah, because that was the whole premise was the... Was the if you're stuck on a desert island? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What would you take with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which devolved obviously into whatever. If you were on a desert island, ooh, this is a good question. Yeah, I just thought of this. Let's do this. What what was the the premise? Um, the actual question was, and tell me, Ezra Blazer, if the waves were to crash upon the shore, threatening to wash all of the discs off your desert island. Which one would you run to save? So all of his, all of his music. If you, so we're talking full albums. I'm well, yeah. Just imagine this is old school. Imagine nobody, who buys albums anymore. I, I have a few records. Um, no, I just mean like see like full albums that that artists put out. I feel like it's so yeah. shortened I now. I haven't bought a CD. It's been at least a decade. Nobody buys CDs. I just mean. Uh, like just well, yeah, going and digitally buying a whole album or something. Yeah, like I mean the the last one I I bought a actual record, yeah. um, which was uh, God, I can't even think of what it was now. To be fair, though, the whole the whole paradigm of how music is 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 distributed now is just completely on on its head compared to you know back in the day. Now yeah. it's you know you, you you pay subscription services and you kind of right. get things through that you don't actually pay individually for albums. Okay, so. but imagine, imagine, imagine you had the album I for had so every many. every song in your digital playlist. Okay, I had that album. Yeah, which album or artist, if you can't think of the album name uh, or song in which that that is present on that album, what 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 would you save? Man, that's really tough. Uh, I, I don't think I can give you one answer. I'm gonna have to narrow it down to a few. Okay, let's let's go with uh, let's go with three. Three is always a good number. Okay, um, <laughs> I'm all over the place here. Okay, so first one is gonna be uh, God. What is it gonna be? First one's gonna be "Multi Love" by Unknown Mortal Orchestra. Okay, that's an interesting one. Second's gonna be "2001" uh, by Dr. Dre. That's a solid. That's a solid. It's a good album. fucking album. Yeah. Um, and the third one, I see, because I, I gotta get all. I gotta get all genres. Okay. Houses of the Holy by Led Zeppelin. Yeah, that's that that's was a pretty damn good album. That was gonna be my one. Really? Yeah. I I love Air High Five. A real high. Five. I love Led Zeppelin. So Houses much. of the Holy is is probably my favorite album. I just think that of of all like rock and roll. Led Zeppelin encapsulates so many different dynamics in even just a single album. It's just, it is otherworldly. The Rolling Stones did a pretty good job of it, too. What are your other two? Uh, so my other two would be um, The Four Seasons by Vivaldi. Um, I don't care who who conducted it or uh, what okay. orchestra. I I just love... That is that is my favorite symphony. Um, what is of, what's your of, what's your favorite of the four seasons? Uh, winter, my is, man, is my, is my another favorite. high five. Oh, man. Yeah, I love winter. Yeah, so I I just think that uh, one I would like some relaxing music on, on the desert island. Fair enough. Uh, and and two again, you just get like a, a very good like variety. And there have uh, there have only been a few times where I've had like an emotional connection um, to music before. And uh, in like classical music, I should say. And for some reason, like from when I was a kid, that and like uh, uh, Canon and D, uh, for okay. it was just well, yeah, it was just like those two songs uh, were were phenomenal. I, I had to double or, check real quick. I was like, oh wait, is the rain songs on? The rain song is on House of the Holy Right. It is okay. Yeah, yeah, we're yeah. good. All right. Okay. Uh, and then my my third, just uh, just for nostalgia's sake, would be uh, Third Eye Blind's debut album. Nice, because that was the that was the first uh, that was the first CD I ever bought when I was a kid or had pr- yeah. bought for me probably, uh, and even still as an adult, like those those songs are so good to me, yeah. and uh, even though the the content has become apparent later in life. Like semi charm life is about crystal meth and like, yeah. uh, and you know, I didn't know that when I was, uh, however old I was when that album came out. 
you know, but the but the the older I get, the the more I can kind of relate back to some of those songs, and they just remind me of like my high school and and college years and. Yeah, yeah, I feel so bad. My list is expanding. I forgot. Oh my god, I forgot "Songs in the Key of Life" by Stevie Wonder. That may be. Yeah, that one's good. That may be my favorite album of all time. Shit. Uh, also, I also I know everyone loves uh, Thriller. I love "Off the Wall" by Michael Jackson. I love "Off the Wall." Hot music opinion. I don't like Michael Jackson. That's fine. That's I fine. Really don't. It's. Uh, I feel like. Uh, well, his music is so ubiquitous. But like yeah. for me, listening to it, like I have to be in a mood for sure. It's not like. Like, oh, man, Beatles would have made my my long list. Uh, we're just that, gonna we subsequently we've decided now we're gonna yeah. start a music podcast where we just talk about old music and God. how much we love it. Yeah. So one okay. So we're we're just gonna go down this rabbit oh, hole as far as we can too go. many. There's too many albums. I'm man. gonna I'm gonna bring it back to the book. I feel, I feel so bad. All right, I'm gonna okay for the sake of. For the sake of its place in history, I gotta take. Damn it! Even though I love "Multi Love" by Unknown Mortal Orchestra, I gotta take that off the list and put uh, "Songs in the Key of Life" by Stevie Wonder on there because right. I love Stevie. Stevie Wonder is my favorite. Hot, hot opinion, although not not hot at all because it's <laughs> it's indisputable fact. Stevie Wonder is the greatest singer songwriter of the 20th century, and you cannot convince me otherwise. That I don't, man, that man is pure, unfiltered musical genius. And it's it's not even just his own songs. The things that he's touched and published yeah. and written for other people can't be touched by anybody else. Sorry, no, can't be convinced otherwise. I'm 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 in no position to defend or uh, or contradict you, so I'll let it go. But so one of the things that I, that I think is really interesting um, about music, and and Ezra kind of displays this throughout, is that um, he's kind of stuck in time. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's, he's got his, his music that he grew up on, uh, and sort of, I would say the music of like, uh, his social station in life, like, yeah. right. He's an artist, so he's supposed to like classical music. Kind of and, esoteric, yeah. a little bit things. Yeah. And, uh, one thing that, that I kind of get peeved about myself as I get older, especially because like I played in bands and like music was such a huge part of my life. Uh, up until really like after college and I had to get a real job and yeah. pay bills that um, you kind of, the older you get, you, you start to like go back and really like define your sort of canon of music as the stuff you grew up with. And it's, I find it really hard to like reach out and like newer music. Really? You, yeah. Like I, I have my sort of like niche in like um, alternative um, stuff and like uh, some indie stuff um, and uh, like electro pop has been a thing that that I've kind of taken to uh, I have to be in the like right mood sure uh, for for that sort of stuff but I I find that like I've I've like now cut out whole genres of music and just I'm like I'm not into really hip hop anymore but I'll listen to stuff from the early 2000s, the 90s, the 80s, like, you know, all of those things. Uh, and same thing with, like, country music. I mean, shit, I yeah. listened to a ton of country music when when I was younger. Now, I just, I can't, I cannot stomach it. But do you think that, like, do you, do you think that we as people, like, just hang on to, to music from certain eras for nostalgia? Or, you know, is, is there something to saying that music in this time was more quality uh well before i get into that i'd be remiss in saying damn it my mom would kill me if i didn't put purple rain by prince on that list Shit. yeah right. well it'll make the it'll make someone on this i love prince um i think it's a little bit of both i think that um i think when you're younger or you're kind of like first exposure into genres or when you first start listening to music beyond just like learning things like a b c you know yeah you, you yeah. have music as a tool of creating sort of like catchy uh repeatable patterns to help you remember things and then when mm -hmm. you get past that phase and you start listening to music because it interests you or something it, it sort of stirs something inside of you then yeah it's a very powerful feeling and it's really hard to disassociate that from when you're older and you're kind of like i'm worn down i don't feel anymore all this music's just crap <laughs> um but i do think it's important uh, to kind of gauge, 
gauge, not not necessarily like have sort of a rubric or a, a metric of quality. Oh, this music sucks because X, Y, Z, but just sort of be more kind of an open mind. I mean, I'm in the same boat there. I, I wouldn't say there are whole genres that I've cut off, man. I really was, I've never been into country music. Um, it just was never something that the, the big thing for me is the, the, the musicality of it. Like right. I was never big, like, uh, I, the lyrics, lyrics can be great. They can be very yeah. powerful for conveying messages, but the production, the, the, the sonic quality, the, the mood that the actual music puts me in is so vastly more important, which is, yeah, I'll tell you this. I've come around on, I've, I've never been, I, in my, in my post, post high school, post collegiate days, I always used to shit on pop music mostly because yeah. I felt it was just devoid of anything useful for me or enjoyable. I've come around, man, because production, at least from a standpoint, production of pop music and, 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 and hip hop nowadays, man, it is so fucking good. It is so just yeah. tight and on point and you just, oh, you, like I'll stop and I'll listen to something and I'll be like, I don't give a shit what this person's saying, like. Man, yeah, I love this. I love the way this sounds, and so, yeah, I'm kind of guilty of that. But I, I do think, yeah, to 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 stop just rambling about music. See, this is a problem. We started talking about music. And I we're know. Just gonna, we're just going to piss right. away 30 minutes talking about music. Uh, yes, I think nostalgia plays a huge role in in kind of the music that we value. Yeah. Just and because because we associate all these feelings with it, and it's it's hard to disassociate that and just listen to music and go like, that's interesting. Yeah. You go, oh man, I remember when I first heard this song because XYZ happened. And so the, the way that I want to tie this back in before we start to wrap up is then I think that there there is sort of a, a theme of nostalgia in, in some ways, right? And I think that you, you see it in Ezra's character, um, certainly with sort of his vice of d- dating younger women, uh, you know, and he, he says that. Uh, you know, he, he enjoys the company of youth because he's not, you know, young anymore. Sure. And, uh, you know, even Amar is putting himself in real danger to go find his brother, um, you know, and, and, you know, thinks about, you know, all these things that they've been through and, you know, nostalgia can be a trap, uh, or it can be a detriment, I think in, in certain cases, especially when it comes to, you know, growth and moving forward. It can ground you in, you know, who you are or where you've come from as a person. But, you know, kind of like like we said before, living in the past is sometimes at your own detriment in the present or, you know, almost always the future, right? Yeah. Um, so I think there's a s- small, like, subcurrent of, of that in the in the book as well. Is there anything? I mean, there's tons of stuff we didn't yeah, talk about, but is there anything we spend, especially important? <laughs> we spent you- a lot of time on random stuff. As far as the meta aspect of this book, because yeah. there is a lot of like meta feeling within this book. The one thing I wanted to kind of get to was someone who's, I guess, a little bit more in touch with their literary self and and, and at least writes and and looks forward to in the future being more involved uh, with their own writing. Yeah, like. How, what do you feel, because I feel we get a lot of it in the first section, and then we kind of view more of it through the lens of of Alice after reading the second section, but what do you feel the relationship between an author and their subject matter should be? Like, do you feel that, do you prefer sort of an authoritative personal view, or do you feel like sort of trying to, trying to be creative with consciousness and abstract and, and and sort of expand upon the known with the unknown, which do you think is more authentic or at least more useful as a writer? Uh, I reject to answer your question. Yeah, that's the, a lot. The, the way, the way that it, that it's phrased. So sure. I, I, I and, and of course I give you neither or, and I'm yeah. sure there's no way to say either or, but I just want to make you talk about them both. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I think, I think both, right. And obviously, yeah. what a obviously Halliday, Halliday does both in this book. Absolutely. She takes a deeply personal experience and creates folly. She writes as an Iraqi American man, uh, which she is not, and you know, it, you would assume it, she it, doesn't have any of the experiences that she writes about, right? So, section. so, so she, you know, she fabricates or you know, learns about this this situation 
you know, to to build on this this overall sort of meta narrative, um, and and really this book is all about themes, right? Sure. It's 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 really just ca- kind of calling into a, our attention all of these different things. Um, whether it's situations or, or relationships. So, you know, I think, I think both can, can be good writing and, and, you know, you need to, there's, there's tons of writing advice out there, right? Like sometimes people tell you like, write what you know. That's, that's, that's one thing you hear all the time. And that's good advice for, you know, people who, uh, are just learning to write, right? Um, there, there is a sense of sort of personal discovery that goes along with writing things that are familiar. Um, and, you know, I think you can pick apart complicated relationships or life experiences by staying close to those things. By the same token, I think that, you know, if you can do research and you can uh, be thoughtful about somebody else's experience, even if that is not your own, whether it's gender, race, time, uh, you know, societal, religious, whatever it is, if if you can reach beyond yourself to bring in a different perspective to that conversation, then, you know, I think that that is also valuable. I think what it what it really boils down to for me is is being thoughtful, right? Is and being honest as you can to whatever situation that is. One of the things that drove me nuts about Asimov was the fact that, you know, he he was never really honest about the world that he was building, right? Mm-hmm. And he was not honest with his characters and their motivations and and all of those things. And, you know, so I I think that whether you're writing science fiction, you're writing memoir, you're writing uh, historical fiction, whatever it is, it takes a whole hell of a lot of care when you're constructing those things to make sure that what you're building has some level of honesty on a human level. And I think that is for me, the, the secret sauce here, here. All right. We should wrap this, this episode up. And before we do that, we have to, we have to shelf this book or donate it or lock it in. We got to rate it. All right. I'll go first. Do it. Um, I'm going to put it on my top shelf, surprisingly, because I like to call myself the literary caveman. Um, (laughs) Throughout the course of this this podcast, and I guess throughout my history of reading, and I've never been a high literary guy. Call it what you want. I enjoy storytelling. I enjoy... I, I do enjoy traditional narratives, and there's a lot of wiggle room in there. You can do a lot of creative things, but yeah. I, I enjoy latching onto a character and whatever they're experiencing. And we got some of that here, and it's kind of flipped on its head when you realize what's going on. But there was there was there was enough in here for me that really kind of like tickled that part of your brain that mm-hmm. when you're reading, you go, shut up brain. I don't want to think right now. I just want to read. But it's like, <laughs> no, think about this. This is interesting. Think right. about all of these like techniques and stuff. I go. Yeah, all right, you're right. You're right. This is interesting. <laughs> um, so I, you know, it, it made me snap out of literary caveman mode for a while. So I, I'm going to put it on top shelf. It's it's a book that I would recommend for a lot of people. Um, probably not everyone. It's I don't know if it's a universal recommendation, but it's pretty darn close. Yeah, uh, I'm definitely going to have to reread it because, like we talked about, this is probably the one book more than any others that the most is to be gained with a reread. Yep. And the fact that we both feel that way, I think warrants, uh, that in and of itself. So yeah, top shelf for me, probably since we've got a lot of books now, probably in the, in the bottom two third, just because okay, some of okay. our more traditional narratives still are so close to my heart. Yeah. Gentlemen in Moscow. So love, good. Love you, Bay. Uh, but it's, it's still up there. Yeah. So I think that this book is like the perfect blend of everything. Like you get, you get all of these, these different thematic elements that are interwoven throughout again, asymmetrical, you know, stories. You just had to sneak the last one in before we go off. I had to. And, but the writing style, uh, in which she executes this entire book is approachable, but smart. Uh, there, like the the whole thing is as as you just you look at it. It was an enjoyable read. It was relatively simple to read, but it was unendingly complex in its construction. And I I just it's I 
as a writer jealous. Um, I mean, it, the idea in and of itself is is brilliant. The execution was brilliant. I am frankly shocked that she wasn't nominated for more prestigious, you know, awards and or won them for this book. And you know, I don't know if that was just. I don't know. I don't know what the what the circumstances were, but holy shit, this book was good. So it is top shelf firmly for me. I don't I don't even remember sort of my hierarchy now, but I yeah. nothing else jumps to mind, you know, inside my top 5 that I think, you know, it couldn't compete with. I mean, it is impressive. It is just it's it's the kind of book where if somebody says, yeah, I don't really read literary fiction, you could be like, you should read this, and it'll change your mind that literary fiction is approachable and my enjoyable. Friend, my, my friend, my co-host, he's the literary caveman, <laughs> and he, he he not only suffered through it, he enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I If Lisa Halliday comes out with another book, it, I, I, For sure. it will be on the podcast. It'll, pro- it'll probably be a, a while, because this came out last yeah. year, so yeah, unless, I mean, she's, unless she's just... You know, churning them out. I hope she is probably going to sit on it for a sec. I hope she has a fantastic career because I. It's a good start. She's off to a pretty damn good start. Absolutely, and and the funny thing about it is like this this book had a lot of um had a lot of like hype and stuff, and I saw it in so many bookstores. I bought my copy in Powell's when when we were there, uh you know. But again, it just it doesn't seem to it didn't get the attention of you know awards. The same way that some of these other books like did, and it just it frustrates me sometimes. To so be books fair, like though, this, we've I mean we've talked about it previously. Awards can be a very fickle thing. Awards because yes. we we gravitated towards several books because they were so highly awarded, and then yeah. we kind of felt not cheated after, but a little bit let down. So say what you will about awarding, you know, agencies or institutions. Fair and enough. They they don't get them all right. That's true. All right. Next episode. I teased it. You need to so explain yourself, We're doing sir. something different. So up until this point, every book that we've read has come from uh, one of our minds. It's something that we've plucked out. I don't think we've... We've gotten a couple recommendations, but they're, they're still kind of on the short list of yeah. things to be read. But this is going to be something different. A mutual friend of ours uh, is a teacher, actually, and uh, she teaches reading, and it's seventh grade. And she said this year, one of the things that they're doing with their curriculum is they're going to be kind of expanding because uh, kids these days are crazy. And, you know, we have social media. We have all these other resources on the Internet. You know, back in back in our day, in the old day, they just gave you a book with a number with a Sharpie written on it on the bottom. They say, hey, read this and write it and come back. So one of the things that they're doing um, is kind of introducing book podcasts. To, to students as sort of a, an additional resource for for kind of learning about books and, and and going with that as a supplement to what they're already reading. Yeah. And then knowing, obviously, what high-quality, amazing dudes we are <laughs> with our own book podcast, she reached out to me and said, hey, would you be interested in this? And I said, I'll check with Ryan. And, you know, I checked with you. You, you were down. And so here we are. So we've got an interesting book because one of my hang-ups when, when doing this was I was like, uh, young adult. I don't know how that's really going to resonate with us. I don't know how we're going to really do that. It's not really a genre that either of us read or or seek out or ever really planned, maybe jokingly, but never really like fully planned on exploring on the show. Maybe in year 10 when we're just like wheels off completely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, so we're going to do some young adult fiction, but it certainly is... It's not what I've what I would have expected. I gave her I gave her you know I said hey give us a couple books and this one stood out to me and you were familiar with the the author yes so the book that we're going to be reading is called Ghost Boys by Jewel Parker Rhodes and this is going to be an interesting book for sure the premise of which is going to be very uh, it's it's sensitive but also topical. Yeah. And just the idea of it being read at, at such a young age and, and being geared towards that that type of audience is is interesting to me. It, it makes me even more interested to read and kind of just deconstruct everything within. But the premise of it being uh, a black boy in Chicago is killed by a police officer who mistakes a toy gun that he has with a real gun. And then we kind of get a perspective as a ghost sort of seeing what un- what unfolds after this yeah and him connecting with with other ghosts in that same situation and sort of seeing the 
the repercussions or the changes or sort of the the threads that have kind of like intertwined them all together. So I read that and I went, wow, this is this is young adult fiction. I read Captain Underpants, you know, when I was in sixth or seventh grade. Yeah. So yeah. So I'm uh, I'm really excited about this. This is going to be interesting. So we're we're going to be releasing an episode. It's going to be a normal episode, but it's also going to be kind of geared towards students that are that are reading this book. At least at least a few hundred. So that's exciting. Yeah, that's going to be interesting, and it'll be a safe-for-work episode because exactly. <laughs> we can't say the things we would normally say. Yeah, I feel like I feel like her putting her neck out and, and asking us to do this, we should probably not put her job at risk by expo- by just being, yeah, yeah, fuck shit, ass, you know, all this yeah. stuff, and parents hear, hear their kids. Well, well, the, the teacher said this was, you know, something that we're listening to. All right, well, that teacher's getting fired. Yeah, and uh, we'll have to think through how not to guide them toward our other episodes. Not that those yeah. kids don't know all of those words and worse, but, yeah, sure. you know, uh, that could be a thing. Uh, so, at any rate, we're going to do that next, which will be the episode that comes out on, I almost said March, for some reason, March. in my brain. It'll uh, be a while, guys. Yeah. Uh, Taking a break. <laughs> September 16th. Okay. Uh, then the episode uh, on September 30th, uh, we're going to read... You're giving us two out. I am. I like it. Uh, the Sympathizer okay. uh, by... I'm going to butcher the name, but I believe it's Viet Thanh Nguyen. Uh, and it won the Pulitzer Prize for fiction, I think, in 2016. Um, and it's basically... Uh, the narrator's like a communist like double agent. Um, I'm in. And... Uh, yeah, so I, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. It takes place where he's like, um, he's I guess an army captain who he's coming to America after the fall of Saigon, uh, and he's kind of building this life with with other refugees in in L.A. My wife has read it, didn't love it because she didn't have any like context for for Vietnam or any sure. of the sort of social things there therein. I actually just had a conversation last night with uh, with one of our friends about a Netflix series about Vietnam yeah. uh, that I hadn't seen, and uh, and I realized shit, I don't really know that much about any of this stuff either. God, so I I am so fascinated by Cold War era and Vietnam era, just history and and political relations in general. So this is I, I'm excited about this. Yeah, so it's supposed to be kind of an espionage thing we'll we'll see we'll see how it goes I'm, I'm going into this one blind per the usual so that is this episode thank you for listening please be sure to check us out on twitter at better bookshelf our next episode will be out on september 16th and the one after that will be september 30th thank you for listening again and until next time